I'm bad, and that's good. I will never be good, and that's not bad. There's no one I'd rather be than me. I don't think I've been more excited for a week of pinball than I have been this week. And and I really I really say that from the bottom of my heart. I'm looking so forward to going out to Texas for the Texas Pinball Festival this weekend. And I want to say this. I want to say thank you to everybody who emailed me and said great episode 100 with George Gomez. I really really appreciate. I think I got more emails on that episode than on any of my other episodes. And I will say this, I loved talking to George Gomez. I have nothing but respect for him and for the people at Stern and what they're doing. I think his passion and and his enthusiasm for pinball came through loud and clear. Uh, I also think people are like, where's the Batman code? Where is it? You said Monday, Tuesday. I'm hoping we get the code before TPF. I, I think it would be smart. Uh, to maybe bring it to the show and let people play around on it and then maybe release that code Monday, Tuesday of next week. But it's going to come. It's going to come. Nobody thinks that they're not going to release that code. Um, But I think TPF is just going to be this amazing show. It's definitely taken over. I'm not going to go down a list of everything that's going to happen at the show. But man, we're going to see Attack from Mars remake. We're going to see what Spooky's game number three is. We're going to hear from Dutch Pinball what their game number two is. We're going to see Aerosmith. Um, We're going to see Houdini. We're going to see Dialed In with with new code. We're going to see Alien. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. I think it's a great time to be a buyer of pinball machines. I think it's a great time to be a buyer. I think it's a hard time to be a manufacturer with all of the different games coming out. Uh, I think, and we're gonna go in that in a later episode. But this episode, episode one on one hundred one, uh, is going to be a special one because I feel like this is like the ultimate one-two punch on this whole podcast. I had the pleasure of sitting down with the man who inspired me to do this podcast, the man who I still think has the greatest pinball podcast on the planet, and that is Nate Shivers of Coast to Coast Pinball. Uh, You cannot mention pinball podcasts without having Nate at the top of your list. There's a reason why pinball podcast, uh, his pinball podcast, excuse me, is the number one pinball podcast that comes up when you search for pinball podcasts on iTunes. Uh, Nate is just incredible. He is incredible. I can't tell you how many nights I would spend listening to his podcast before bed, loving his commentary on pinball. And the greatest um, accolade I can receive and the greatest feedback I can get from people out there is you have taken uh, some of the pain away from losing Coast to Coast Pinball. And I love Canada's Pinball Podcast because it provides that commentary that we're missing uh, on a weekly basis that Nate provided. So I'm happy that I can do that. I don't think I'll ever get to the same level of Nate. Uh, there's just something special that he brings. And 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 I love, I love his podcast. So I'm happy to hear that he's going to be doing it on a monthly basis. And I was extremely happy for Nate to join the show. I had been reaching out to Nate for a while to join and be a member of the show. So I was... It, ecstatic that he is episode 101 and I'm really happy that a lot of you guys who are traveling to TPF uh, 
and and are going to have this podcast to go along with the George Gomez podcast uh, on your way to the show. Because I know a lot of you guys will be listening to Pinball Podcast as you're journeying to Texas. Um, So without further ado, I want to air Nate Shivers. And it's just so good to hear him back on the airwaves talking about pinball. And we look forward to seeing what he's going to do in the future with his podcast. And he's always got an open door to come on this show if he ever just feels like uh, jumping on and talking about pinball without having to do any show notes. And, and I, I'll, keep, I'll keep him updated on what's been going on. Um, but Nate Shivers, Canada's Pinball Podcast 101. I hope you enjoy. And I look forward to hanging out with a lot of you awesome guys at TPF in a few days. Um, much love, guys. Much love. It's a good time to be in pinball. I'm really excited. Very excited. Here you go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome uh, to episode 101. You know, I feel like this week has been sort of crazy. I've had like two guests that I've been trying to get on the show forever uh, hit back to back. And this this man is sort of the inspiration for this podcast that I do. And, and I spent probably a good year just listening to this man talk. Uh, every, every time he had a new episode, I, w- I was just infatuated with it. And that is no other than Nate Shivers of Coast to Coast Pinball. Nate, welcome to the show. I thought this was going to be episode 100, Chris. <laughs> you know, that's, that makes two people pissed at me. Brenda was supposed to be episode 100, so I bumped her for George Gomez. All uh, right. All right. But, but this, is, this is a fitting follow-up. Now, Nate, I, I know you just uploaded a new podcast i think it was number 236 was it yeah that was a uh uh an update episode as it, as it might be 230 something i don't even know i have to look at 232 okay now before we get started i do i just want to be a little bit of a fanboy and just thank you for coast to coast pinball because i i think without a doubt coast to coast pinball is held up as the gold standard in pinball podcast and i think what you brought nate to to the podcast was just this great commentary and point of view on pinball that never really existed. So I, I think all of my listeners would agree that uh, they love Coast to Coast. I love Coast to Coast. And we're, we're glad that it's going to come back in some format in, in the near future. Thanks, man. That's super flattering. All totally correct as well. Um, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, it's been a weird trip. It was it was started out pretty modest. I actually I had a text message this morning from someone uh, who said, "Hey, I'm listening to episode 16, and you're talking about New York City, blah blah." And I cringed thinking about what those early shows right. probably sound like now because it's it's certainly come a long way. Right. And uh, as I talked about in my last episode, it's been a personally and professionally a weird ride the last few months so the the show's taken a back seat but it will live it's i think it's too important to me personally to let it let it die right um i'm sure you've had this you're over 100 episodes congratulations i think anybody that can do that that many shows uh definitely has their heart in into it and you'll find and i'm sure you've had this moment where you hit a wall and you start thinking okay what am I actually doing this for? What are right. the reasons? And I've had that a few times. And, and luckily, I always come back to, I'm sitting here thinking about pinball. I might as well talk about it and reach out to my little group of listeners out there. And uh, it's, it's, it's a creative out, output for me, certainly. It's, right. it's, been, it's been awesome. I, I, I hit two walls when I was doing it. And both of them were sort of like self-inflicted gun wounds uh, where I just got like, too into the drama and i'm sure you've heard some of you know i I take a little bit more of a contentious approach at times 
Um, and I, I got burnt out. I mean, the first time I took a break was people were just basically threatening uh, my employer. It was weird. Like it wasn't even it wasn't even like any of the other drama with like Oric and stuff. It was some guy in RPG was started posting like my HR director's email address and was like, let's take this guy down. Like, I'm going to ruin your life. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I'm talking about pinball guys. Like, <laughs> So I took a break then. And then I took a break last summer. The reason I took a break in the summer, you, you know, sometimes, Nate, you look at the hobby and you're just like, man, I don't think there's going to be much news over the next few months. And do I really want to just stir the pot to create news? And do you? Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Well, well, and, and I was, and I was like, I was just like manufacturing the news. It was almost like fake news. You know, I'm like the a little bit of like the Donald Trump era of pinball news for a while. And then I took Ouch. a break. And when I came back, I was like, you know what? I definitely want this show to be a lot more positive. I want to be able to ask hard questions though, but do it in the right way. And I think finding that balance, and we'll talk a little bit about that on this episode, finding that balance of asking hard questions without being a jerk is, is difficult. Question for you. Yeah. How badly would you like to be unbanned from Pinside? <laughs> you know, I've, I've said this to Robin many times and the, the answer is this, I would love to be back on Pinside and, and the reason why is, you know, it's hard for me to sort of enter the conversation the way I want to. And I'm, I'm basically having a conversation with myself on this podcast, right? And yep. It, it, yep. it gives me somewhat of an advantage because I, I can sort of say something and no one else can like take it down, right? They can't delete it. They can't thread eject me. And I think that's kind of what made my podcast more successful was being off pin side. Because people would be curious about what I would say in a medium that I could control. Um, what, but I told what, Robin... How do you judge success with a pin, pinball podcast? Right? <laughs> that, no, that's a good question. I mean, I judge success by, you know, there's a, a f certain measurements that I go by. Obviously, you want to make sure you have a, dec a decent listener base. So I think I have a decent listener base considering the size of the hobby. Mm -hmm. um, but I also, for me personally, I, I get success from the different emails and the different people that just hit me up and say, you know, I love the show. I listen to it every day on the way to work. Um, when I meet these people at shows that they tell me how much they enjoy uh, the podcast. So for me, I mean, we, you know, we don't do this for money. You know, I do it so that it's entertainment for people that are out there. Uh, and look, and you said it before too, a little bit, maybe more than a little bit is, is a little ego driven, right? Like we do this because I like to I like to hear myself talk about pinball. It's just it's fun to put something out there that you can create um, that is solely yours. So a little bit of is attention driven. I, I won't lie, you know, it's mm -hmm. not just all about adding value. But I think I've found that balance of adding entertainment, adding value, and talking about pinball in a way that is digestible. Because I think my biggest complaint about some of the other podcasts is they're just they're just too long you know like two hours it's just too much so i think i, I, give people I, snack I felt that stuff. from the very beginning that the super long format was uh a not sustainable for me and it, it, I, I was trying to make a podcast i would listen to i mean that was always i i tried to not think about okay what's everybody gonna like right now right. it was more it, it, what would i want to hear because i literally started the show when we had Don and Jeff doing a monthly show, we had uh, our uh, Game Room Junkies doing 
monthly-ish shows um, with a heavy focus on pinball. And we had Spooky Pinball doing a monthly show. And there was not much else at all. And I right. was burning through those shows literally, you know, in three days and going the rest of the month wishing there was more talk about pinball. So I thought, well, if, it's, if I'm doing that, somebody else probably is thinking that too. Right. So I really thought that in the long shows, I, I can't do that because I won't listen to it. And, right. the thought, and why do it if nobody's listening, right? Right. Yeah, and, and, and I have to say, I mean, I, your format is, is what I emulated because I, I just thought that 30 minutes to an hour, like an hour when you have an interview and you have a little bit more to go in depth about was, was the perfect amount of time. Um, and, and, you know, and we were, we, you mentioned this on your last podcast, Nate, it's just like finding the time too, right? Because I know you're really busy with, with your new job and you were saying how like when your schedule's flexible, it's easy to throw on the headset and, and put up a podcast. But I think what's probably hard for you now, right? Because it, you have to mine the forums to get the information to do the shows. And that's, to me, where all the time comes, right? Because it's easy for me to just talk for a half hour, but it's the hours of mining the forums to get the subjects and the, and the details down that takes time. And if, and if you know, you're, you're right, because if you look at... When I started the show, you could keep up with Pinside by logging on for a half hour a day, and you could pretty much see everything. Right. There's so many users now, and there's so much going on in the, quote, hobby or the world of pinball. It's really hard to keep up with it. I, I've had trouble keeping up with it recently, and that is the long – the recording of the show, I would oftentimes, if I had something I really wanted to talk about, put the headset on and just go and look down, and it had been 45 minutes – uh, the hard ones were when I was really trying to dive deep into pinball machines and like talk about games that I didn't own and I had to research and do work on. Or if I was like, I, I, the worst ones is when you're trying to do like a recap of like a year or the, the notes you have to take to, to put it together. And I think that's where a lot of people, not just in pinball, but in podcasting in general, they think, oh, I love talking about, you know, um, I don't know, boomerangs. So I'm going to do a podcast about boomerangs because boomerangs are awesome. And they talk about boomerangs for a couple shows and three shows in, they're kind of like, well, what do we talk about today? And there's right. not, you, what are you going to do? You got to actually work to have a show. And, and that's the hard part. So I am impressed that, that you've gotten as far as you can. Um, I, I, I find it amusing on lots of levels uh, when I still see 90-some episodes in, you referring to the Pinside Babies. I, I think that's a, a, a certain kind of special there, which yeah. <laughs> is, is your own brand of podcasting right. for sure. I mean, there's like – and that's the thing. It's like I am – when I came out of the gates, it was I, – I, I was definitely sort of the polarizing figure, and I sort of leveraged that. But I think over time – even like my Pinside Babies podcast have become a lot more PG and PG-13 versus, you know, some, a vitriolic rant. And, and what I've learned, too, is when you're when you get too involved and you get too angry, it just eats away at you personally. It, it, like I wasn't accomplishing anything. Right. I, I, I've, I've adopted this new mindset. If people have money in on games that's on them, right? I mean, they can invest with whoever they want to invest with. I can ask the hard questions, but I don't need to go on these personal sort of missions to expose manufacturers because most of the information is out there. It's, it's public and, and people, I, I, I still think people are so emotionally connected to pinball, Nate, that it doesn't matter what information you give them. Um, 
they're going to they're going to say take my money now if the theme is something they love and that's just the nature of this hobby well in the in i think that's really the collector side of it, it it's interesting when i i look at the the hobby and i've sort of straddled different sides of it at different times I'm, you know, one part collector. I'm never going to be the guy who buys $15,000 super limited edition games. It's just not, it's just not interesting to me and, and right. it just it doesn't excite me. Uh, I'll never be the guy who goes to 15 Papa Circuit events and plays that much competitive pinball, but I do love competitive pinball on some level. So I like a little bit of collecting. I like some competitive pinball. I, I think that, you know, there's the whole side of the business side of it, which is really interesting to me. And I got right up against it and nearly went to work for Stern. And that was probably the moment where I really had to step back at times and think, okay, even when Stern's making a pretty glaring error to a lot of people, there's usually a reason that was well thought out by good people of why they're making that quote error or why business is just making that happen. Um, and and it, it, it tears you in all these different directions. But I think all those little sections of pinball, whether it's people who just really are attached to it via Pinside or forums or people who just really love to, the hunt of, of finding games and buying games or the operators out there who this is actually a business and a livelihood to or the, the competitors, the guys who could care less about going to a festival and playing a bunch of free play, you know, 80s and 90s games. They want to stand in line at the tournament for three days straight. All those different things. That's what pinball is to all those people. And it's 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 great. Right. Pinball wouldn't be in a resurgence, I think, if you didn't have all of those pieces put together. Right. And and I and I totally agree. And and I think Nate, what what was interesting about your podcast is is you reached that point too, where you sort of you got into competitive pinball, and and you you sort of created a separate sort of discussion around tournament talk because talk a little bit about that because I know a lot of people and I loved your show and I, I didn't I I listen to every episode like I, even though you know tournament talk didn't bother me that much i don't talk about it on this podcast per se because i do think tournament play and, and teaching people pinball is a it's a better vid, like visual journey versus an audio one um, and i know you started putting up youtube videos with some of the pros but talk about how you reached that point where you realize you know there's two major different parts of pinball i want to discuss and it makes sense to sort of break them up a little bit because the audiences might be a little different yeah, the breaking of them up was really because I thought I was about to go to work at Stern and I knew I couldn't do coast to coast pinball anymore if I worked for the largest manufacturers of games in the world because right. it wouldn't be – you couldn't. You, I mean, Gary Stern asked me that. He literally said, what are you going to do with your podcast? And I said to him, well, I'm going to shut it down right. because how could I – give my opinions on other manufacturers while I work for their competitors. It just doesn't make any sense. But I still wanted to, to, to talk about pinball. So my plan was eventually, with Stern's blessing, of course, was to do a Stern pinball podcast based on the inside workings at Stern, which I still think could be really cool. And then I separated out Wide World of Pinball with with two of my, you know, I don't get to see these guys very often, but I feel like they're two of my best friends uh, in the world through pinball, uh, Josh Sharp and Steve Bowden, because they're both really, really intelligent guys who have very interesting opinions from different points of view on ju- not just pinball, but really specifically competitive pinball. And I had gotten really into the big tournaments. It was really exciting. I was spending s- Sunday afternoons watching finals of tournaments that were half a world away. And I, I it's, it's a geeky, geeky thing to do, but I know other people liked it. Um, so I, I always was doing some of that as I got into it and splitting it off made perfect sense if I was going to be working at Stern. Right. Now, now that I'm not, I could just fold it all back in, but I kind of like the setup of the three man team 
Um, it's an easier show to do because I just have to have some bullet points and, and Josh and Steve can fill 45 minutes pretty easily amongst themselves. I just throw out topics. Right. So I actually really want to do more of that. The time change now is really making that difficult because I'm six hours ahead of you guys on the East coast and seven hours ahead of Chicago. Right, right. So it's a little more difficult to do, but I, I love competitive pinball. I think it's it's incredibly fun. Um, I, I found myself at, at certain big big shows that had tournaments, ignoring all the new releases and all the new business and all the new stuff that was happening, and just hanging out and playing in the tournament and, and really enjoying it. But I've also done the opposite. I, I was I was at, I believe I was at Papa. It was yeah, it was Papa, and you know a buddy of mine and a couple friends of mine. We literally just ignored the tournament for probably two days and just walked around and played played games, just heads up three person, person games against each right. other. And so I, I I can see both sides, and I and I think that my podcast sort of just swings whichever way uh, my interests do. I remember seeing you Nate at, at at TPF last year with with Jack Danger. You guys were doing the uh, the tournament commentary. And we like went to dinner. We came back like hours later. And you guys were still there. I just you, you guys did look a little tired. I'm like, it is a lot of hours, right? That you have to dedicate to to the tournaments when you go to these shows. And I think I think it's hard too for for fans to decide like which road to take, right? Because if you're in the tournament, like you're in it, right? And there's a lot of stuff you're gonna miss because you're playing. Um, but it's look, it's a good problem to have. Something you mentioned, though, Nate, is interesting. I think a Stern podcast would be great, and here's why: Stern having 92% of the market, but being pretty uh, absent from the dialogue, I think hurts them. And the interview I did with George um, last last week, he clarified a lot of things that put a lot of people's mind at ease. But that that information, it just doesn't get out there, you know. And I think it would help people to relax a little bit uh, when it comes to Stern Pinball if they had a little bit more of an inside or transparent yeah, relationship I, with the company. I, I agree. And when I've had Jody or George or, or anyone else from the company on, I certainly get that feedback that people are thrilled to hear it from the company themselves. Uh, I think I sort of had that going. I, I definitely had that ability to, you know, new game release, I'd get them on. And I, I, I might have... Uh, <laughs> might have ruined that when I kind of made fun of the super LE I remember the that. ground. They, they didn't like <laughs> I think that. George is but still I, sensitive about that. I kind of brought well, it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and I get that. Look, George Gomez, I, I don't care what anybody says about anything about Stern. George Gomez is one of the nicest people I've met. And oh, yeah. uh, when I met him and interviewed with him uh, at the company, that's the moment I knew I really wanted to move to Chicago was actually interviewing George Gomez. Um, what a great guy. So... I felt bad afterwards that such a nice guy probably took what I was saying very personally when I, I just was, I thought that they were doing so many things right in that moment and so many good things. I thought the super LE thing was just sort of mishandled and, and not how I would have hoped to have seen it, it happen. And I might've been a little sensitive to the fact that I was getting a lot of accusations on, on being soft on Stern at the time. Uh, because I, you know, you were going to work for them. You can't talk about Stern, blah, blah, blah. So when I saw something that did bother me, I probably laid into it a little heavy. And, and right. I, I did, I did tell, you know, Jody at one point, I, I was, I was sorry that it, it came off so hard. I, I'm not sorry for the criticism. I stand behind the criticism. I still think it was a bad way to, to go about it. Um, but I, I, I certainly don't mean any harm. You know, I think Stern does a whole lot more right than they do wrong. And once you see the people working there, you, you realize it's not a bunch of guys counting their money and getting rich on pinball and laughing at all the suckers paying twelve thousand dollars for LE games or whatever. Um, 
It's yeah. people who really love pinball and have chosen to work. There's a lot of the people in that company could go make a lot more money doing other things, but they want to work in pinball. And, and thankfully, they, they do. Right. Uh, so I, I have nothing but, but love for them. Uh, yeah. Certain- and I, I, I mean, I, I love Stern, too. And, and, I, and I, I always like tell people, like, well, would you r- rather live in a world where there is no Stern pinball and there is no new pinball coming out? And, and, and this whole notion that Stern doesn't care is, is so fabricated by a vocal minority of people who might have an issue here or there. And I think that's where the forums, you know, I almost wanted to send Robin an email basically saying, I think now's a good time to try and build bridges to getting Stern and Jack back on pin side because it, it would require a little bit more moderation where you don't let a few of these vocal minority guys like run away the true people who are making pinball. I mean, how do you have the most popular pinball forum and you don't have the major companies participating simply because you'd rather build a safe haven for a few trolls who just want to tell Stern to F off every chance they get? You know, I don't get it. I got to tell you, you know, in my world of acoustic guitars, uh, the owner, one of the two owners of our company, whose name's on the headstock of all our guitars, Bob Taylor. If you search back into, there's a website called the Acoustic Guitar Forum, which for all intents and purposes, is the pin side of acoustic guitars. Um, if you look back 12, 13, 14 years ago, Bob Taylor's all over these forums himself, the owner of a, you know, at the time, probably a 40, $50 million company, and it's double that now. Um, he's on there arguing with people about stuff, trying to teach them, trying to show <laughs> right. them the way, what he's doing. And he eventually had to leave because people make a, a game and a sport out of you know, I hate the word trolling, but that's kind of what it is trolling or just arguing or trying to show how smart they are or trying to play counterpoint to everything that somebody who's an expert says and you get torn apart. It's just the nature of the internet. That is the internet. So I, if, if I'm at Stern, like if I had gone to work for Stern and was sitting there as director of sales at Stern pinball, I wouldn't be on pin side either. I, I wouldn't waste my time. There's way too many good things because the, the reality is I love Pinside for what it is. It's a great group think. It's a great place for information to learn about things, to to hang out with your, quote, pinball friends. But there's not that many people on it. It's not that big in the grand scheme of things. And if Stern's business was based off making Pinside happy, they, they'd be long, long out of business. Right. No, that's a good point. You know, I think it, the happy medium might be just allowing someone like Jarrett to go on there and just, you know, just give information. You know, so like when like the dimple gate is happening, he can he can talk to George. And they because that response from George about dimples was great. It kind of like immediately silenced a lot of these like new hobbyists, right? They don't people who just don't get that like dimples are part of pinball and the, and you want to you want a nice clear coat it's gonna dimple like that's just the way it, it the, the i'm kind of shocked people are still still arguing about that i mean go to any arcade a week after a new game arrives and look at the play field it, it's dimpled up that that's I, i'm that's the side of the collector world that that surprises me that people still would think dimples aren't a right. reality well, mate, in the last like year, there's been so much that's happened in pinball, and in particular, since I, I believe like your last podcast was around December, a lot's happened since December to now. And something I wanted to talk about in this podcast is sort of just go down your thoughts on on, on the hobby, and as we think about pinball and the state of pinball, and we talk a lot about the resurgence and this new golden era, but I want to go down a list. Uh, Nate and like I know you don't have any pins right now uh, where you're living and are you are you planning to maybe get any can you get some pins over there are oh you yeah. Thinking? yeah yeah okay. definitely they, in fact the prices in the Netherlands are actually 
uh, we, even with the conversion rate to euros, it, it's cheaper to buy a lot of games here than it is in the United States, certainly than Southern California. So when Teresa and I move to our permanent residence in the next few months, uh, there will be pinball for sure. Okay. So if I gave you, Nate, like a coupon redeemable for a pinball machine, we're not even going to put a price on it. This is a list. When people talk about pinball's resurgence, this is a list of games you can go get new in box in the next you can get some of them immediately, but all of these will be available in the next month or two. Um, Aerosmith, let's count them, Batman 66, Ghostbusters, okay. Kiss, Spider-Man Vault Edition, WWE, I don't, you know, who wants that? Game of Thrones. John Cena wants that. <laughs> Whoa Nelly, The Walking Dead, Metallica, Alien, P3 Multimorphic, Hobbit, Wizard of Oz, Dialed In, Attack from Mars Remake, Magic Girl, they're in box, they're available. Stop it, stop it. It's on eBay. Um, stop it. The Big Lebowski, Rob Zombie, Jetsons, Dominoes, Captain Nemo. Okay. So, Is that real? Can well, you buy a Captain Nemo? You, I mean, I'm sure if you wave some money around. It's shipping okay. now. He's making more of them. All right. Um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Don't 15, count 16. Magic Girl. All Please right. don't. All right, I'll take Magic Girl. That's like 18, <laughs> 18 pinball machines. Okay. Now, what are your thoughts on just that? Like, the market is so crowded now. Can, it's can... awesome. It's fantastic. It, it's great that the market can support it uh, to, you know, if it is supporting it. I mean, some of those, uh, you know, I look at something like P3, and Jerry is, is man, you talk about people who are, like, <laughs> throwing all their, their effort and time and energy into the hobby. I mean, Jerry at P3 is just unbelievable. Um, but that that is a tough sell. That's a tough thing because I still question, is it pinball enough? Right. So I look at that and it's like, is the market ever going to support that? I don't know. I think they're doing a lot of the right things, trying to branch out beyond just the the, the standard home buyer for pinball machine, doing some other type of games on that. That's smart. Um, you know, if you gave me a coupon and said I can have any game, I would really like to play Dialed In. I have not spent any time at all on Dialed In, but a few people who I really respect their opinions on uh, have told me it's one of their favorite games ever. So I've heard that thrown around a little bit, so I need to play it. Um, I, I would not buy Wizard of Oz or Hobbit uh, just because I don't really – I don't want a wide-body game, a modern wide-body game in a collection that's going to be just a couple games right now. It, it's not it, – it doesn't feel quite right to me, even though Teresa absolutely loved The Hobbit. The Hobbit was her favorite game we played last year by a long ways. She was She's into gonna it. She's going to love Dialed In. I mean when, I, when Brenda played Dialed In, it, it – it, it's like everything you love about a Jersey Jack game, but even better. It's faster. The shots are smoother. And it's just fun, the use of technology and it, the selfie mode, the way you can play with your, your, your cell phone. I, I have, Dialed in is my pick for game of the year. And You know, I'm interested to see if the gameplay, the, the unique toys and, and, and technology interfaces, I'm, I'm interested to see if those things can overcome the fact that I have to explain what on earth dialed in is and what it means to anybody I talk to about it because that theme still I and I got a lot of heat for this when I kind of slammed it in October. I still don't think that theme's very good. Right. I, I don't get it. I, I still I mean I get it, but I, I don't I don't get why that works. Well it doesn't it doesn't connote what the game is about, which is saving the city, right? It's this yeah. it's a disaster game. It's kind of like all of Pat's sort of disaster games in one and but dialed in is like this pinball term. It doesn't 
And then there's like the cell phone. And now they're saying like the cell phone's not going to be the focal point like it was earlier on in the code. So I agree. Like if you need a comic book to explain to people what the pinball machine is about, that's that's a little too much. Yeah, I had a problem with that. So I'd really like to play Daldian, so that would kind of go on my short list. You know, Alien, again, I don't really want a wide-body game. Um, I, I will say about Alien, though, I think that a lot of people probably should go back and apologize to Arik, Arik Lawson because when you see the final product of Alien, the artwork makes perfect sense and fits that game perfectly. And I think a lot of people said a lot of stuff about that artwork. And in the end of the day what seemed like a defensive position from him during the criticism of, hey, man, like there's a lot of stuff on this game and I had to just sort of go around it. He's right. He ends up being completely right. When I was looking at the streams of the gameplay, that video uh, of Alien, it looks fantastic. I think it's a great looking game. Um, yeah, I think, that, I, think what's, I think what that whole thing showed was it's hard to get people excited about pinball when you, when you launch it piece by piece. Quit showing pieces of games. I agree completely. Jack Jack just held up the dialed-in play field. Uh, I guess some of them came in. And if you just look at the play field, it's not that special. (laughs) It doesn't look that good. People would have torn it apart. But when you put the mechanisms on top of it, it makes absolute sense why the art is the way it is. Um, So, look, I think that – I think marketing in general, all these companies that released – things way too early by the time it's all together the hype is kind of past it's it's it, it always boggles my mind that these companies can't follow the spooky and stern formula which is you completely design your game first then you set the price when you know how much the bomb is then you announce it with the price that will keep your company in business well it's hard it, it's it's tough because you're dealing with some companies aren't really companies. They're really just enthusiasts who have the the skill and the and the willpower to to put a game together, um, and they they can't help themselves because you work. It's really hard. I mean, can you imagine trying to record a hundred podcasts before you released any of them? Wouldn't at some point you just be dying to throw a podcast out there so somebody could recognize all this hard work you've done? And I think that that's part of it, especially someone like like Highway who. Big investment, a lot of smart people, a lot of hard work. Uh, you know, the first game was sort of, you know, he changed the theme at one point, goes to full throttle. I don't think it sold like they hoped it would. And so then he's got this triple A license in Alien. He kind of pulls the coup and gets Alien. He wants to show it. He wants to get people interested and try and get their mind share and their wallet share headed towards him. And, and I understand it, but. Man, I, I don't think it did anybody any good to see that play field with, with nothing on it. I, I want to see like bare play fields of like, you know, I, I don't know, Paragon or Centaur later after I've known the game my whole life and I can just see what the bare play field are because that's interesting. I don't want to see the next game that I've never played before bare. I want to see the complete project. Right. And, and you know, like, I think it's pretty obvious why a lot of these companies, to your point, have to do it when they're when they're sort of startup companies is they they need money they need to get pre-order dollars in and they're, they're trying to get people excited early on to you know as we go down this list too nate it's like man at some point people only have so many areas they can spend their money in and if 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 i don't get people excited about alien you know i think it's going to be real i think it's going to be hard for highway i think the big thing that kind of sucks is if attack from mars remake because what I heard is this. I heard that PPS has spent a year stockpiling parts. So when they announce Attack from Mars at TPF, they're also going to announce that production's happening immediately. 
I mean, that's what I understand, you know, and, and I think their price point, I don't know if that's been made public yet, and I hope I'm not spoiling this for anybody, but I think their price point's uh, going to sell a lot of games on its own. Uh, I, I think I, it's 65, 75, and 8,500. That's the rumors I've heard. I don't have any confirmation of that, but that's rumors I heard. So if you're telling me there's a brand new, pretty shiny attack from Mars out there for 6,500, it's going to sell a lot of games. They, right. they, they will do very well with that. Um, so th that's going to be interesting to watch. And honestly, that might be the game I have to buy just because that's Teresa's favorite game. Um, but j just to kind of wrap up what you said about all these new games here and what would I buy, I would probably, me, kind of being off the new in-box game thing right now, I would probably try and find a used uh, The Walking Dead or right. possibly Game of Thrones because I really like both of those games and I'd like to spend a good year just playing them into the ground and then flip them at some point. If I'm buying brand new in box, I, I'm probably looking at Aerosmith. I think everything I've seen out of Aerosmith looks really fun, really cool. Um, or maybe dialed in. I need to play it. Um, Big Lebowski. I still, I, I need to kind of get back in tune with what's going on with Dutch pinball and the Big Lebowski. So um, I, have an, I have an exclusive announcement to make on this podcast about Dutch pinball. So... <laughs> Well, before I make it, let me. Let, so, Nate, what's what's been going on is they've had a dispute with their contract manufacturer, ARA, and yeah, the yeah. word the word on the street is that ARA has like forty games built that they're yep. holding hostage until they get payment. Um, so, what I hear is this, and and I, I would love to get your thoughts on on this marketing strategy. So, is it is it Yop or Jop? How do you pronounce his name? Yop. Yop. Okay, so Yop is coming to TPF. Um, for a Saturday 3 p.m. seminar to announce Dutch Pinball game number two. Okay. In the midst of this big Lebowski issue. And, I mean, I hope he also is going to announce they've found a solution to the Lebowski owners. Uh, and I, the rumored title he's going to announce is Back to the Future. Which I think people are going to be like, wait a minute, what about our Lebowski? And then take my money for Back to the Future immediately. So what are your thoughts uh, on announcing Game 2 when you still got Game 1 brought, you know, in, in, in held hostage and you don't have a manufacturer lined up? And it's, it's a nightmare for those owners. You know, I, I haven't spoken to Barry or Yop in quite a while, so I don't know where their headspace is at on that. But I do know that they're both really smart guys. And I would be surprised if there isn't some sort of plan on those big Lebowski games uh, in place. I think that it kind of circles back to what we were saying. You know, this this was a, a, a big project for these guys. I mean, you could see the, the f photography over the years of all the work that went into that and all the design and development R&D into the big Lebowski. So they've got a lot of money sunk into this project. So I, they were talking about game number two all the way back in the Phil days when Phil was still there. I had dinner with Phil three years ago. And mm -hmm. Phil floated me five titles and said, what, what do we do? Which one would you do? And I don't think any of them were back to the future at the time. But I think that if that is where they're going, I think that's a fantastic move. I think that's probably one of the best 80s licenses you could you could pull from right, uh, right now. So I'd be very interested to see. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're announcing it. They're probably already, already well into the development of it. So that's not going to be the cleanest thing ever to say, hey, here's game two. We haven't shipped all of game one yet. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, it's. I, I really hope there's a, a good solution for Lebowski because I, I know a bunch of people, especially Mr. Rare Hero, Greg, um, Greg over there on Pinside, who's he, these guys who like they know their games built 
and it, they just can't get it, and they've been waiting two years. So I, I think the the two-year wait, right, this whole sort of pre-order and then fingers crossed waiting years, I think that model is going to die soon. I mean, I say that, but I think theme and emotion overrides people's better judgment. Um, what, what are your thoughts, Nate? Do you think like companies can still take pre-order dollars? You know, if, if American Pinball asked for pre-order money on Houdini, do you think they get any people putting money down or are people finally I, I, become wise? <laughs> I think the bar is being raised. I think certainly, yes, you can get money on pre-order. I, I, I didn't expect Stern to sell all those Batman Super Limited Editions, and they did, proving me you know, wrong again on where the ceiling is for stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, I think so. If you put together a compelling enough uh, pit, sales pitch, you know, people in this industry, uh, I think, sometimes underestimate how easily – uh, a pinball fanatic and collector can be separated from their money. They want, I, people want to spend money. Uh, people are dying to get something new and exciting, uh, to a degree. Now I think that bar goes up as we've seen, you know, uh, real problems with J pop and with the predator fiasco and all that. So I think there is definitely a hesitation built in now, but if you come out with a plan and can show how I'm going to build the game and it makes sense, Sure. My worry, of course, is that somebody gets smart and brings in a name that everyone's familiar with and knows and then tries this. And again, people don't realize how hard it is to build a pinball machine. And you end up even even Chicago gaming with Medieval Madness. That's going to be the easiest thing in the world, right? We're going to have Stern build it. Simple. It wasn't simple at all. It was really hard. So I myself would never put money in again into something like Way Out. Uh Right. way out into the future but if you look at someone like spooky pinball i trust them completely to build a game if if they announced something that i really wanted and, and it was going to be a six to eight month wait I, I would have no problem sending charlie you know a deposit on a game because i see the plan but if american pinball i don't know i don't do i trust american pinball who is american pinball right, right. now and based upon the magic girl that i'm looking at right now i mean yeah like things were screwed together but it came doesn't work we'll talk We'll How magic is it, Chris? How magic is it? On a scale of one to ten, it's it's like a three. The wow, I'll, I'll, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But um, I I think you know, you no. Know, so there's a few games too. So on top of that list, coming soon, Star Wars. So th this is like the worst kept secret in all of pinball. But Star Wars is coming soon, and we're gonna hear about it sooner than later. I was. It's gonna. I, I think that's gonna also just send a ripple effect through the hobby where like a lot of people's money might be in other projects and deposits might be down. But I think a lot of refund requests will come in when Star Wars gets announced. Do you think it's going to have that kind of effect? Um, assuming it is Star Wars, I have to be a little careful here. Um, assuming Star Wars is next from Stern. Uh, yeah, I could see people pulling money out of something that they don't think they're going to see to go, to go towards that. I, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that one. Okay. <laughs> um, Elvira. So there's a new Elvira game that's also supposed to be coming out from Dennis Nordman. There's a reason why Elvira will be at TPF. It's not just to um, to get the 60 year old men all excited. It's uh, oh, that, that's not it. She, she's not <laughs> just there to show off. She's uh, so they're gonna complete the trilogy of Elvira games and so that's there's that then there's spooky number three which is also Charlie's going to announce it originally they weren't going to announcement but he just put up yesterday 
they're going to do a little like video documentary kind of thing and at the end of it they're going to reveal title number three so yeah they, they're i think they're playing um the the documentary that's uh really fantastic from what i i can't wait to see it um about spooky pinball it was kind of funny because when i was starting to really dive into doing some video work i wanted to do a little thing on spooky and every charlie got real weird he goes well, hold on we got to talk and uh friends of of coast to coast pinball dana and joel reeves actually were working on a full-fledged documentary about a spooky pinball um th things that go bump in the night i believe is the is the official title so i i know i have a little bit of a piece in there and they interview a lot of people around how these this family from wisconsin you know jumped full on into the pinball industry so i think they're showing that which is cool if you're going to tpf uh definitely go check out the documentary i'd love to hear some reviews uh and, and very much looking forward to what the next spooky game is. It, it's been fun to watch, you know, that company grow and see things like Dominoes come their way and the Jetsons come their way to get to build those. Because uh, it's a real American success story so far up right. there, and and I, I'm I'm interested. I, I I don't have any idea what it's going to be, so I'm, I I like that because I'm a little spoiled because I know the next few Stern games and I can't talk about them. Oh, come on. Uh, no, it's Star Wars, Nate. No, I, I, have, I have a I have a DNA agreement. That's where Jody Dankford sliced my finger open, sliced his finger open, and we locked fingers <laughs> and swapped DNA. So I can't talk about right. it. Right. Um, but I don't know the spooky game, so that's that's exciting. It's fun when you actually don't know what it is. Yeah, it's like they they put up a little teaser sort of picture and there's like a hand with a lightning bolt and people are speculating maybe it's Frankenstein so we'll see I don't have any idea what it is either um, what about home pin Thunderbirds over there in China so that also Mike announced last night that he's aiming for second half of 2017 to get the first titles they, they're building everything I don't know if you've watched that thread Nate but like they're making the springs they're making the screws like every single piece of the machine they're manufacturing like nothing's coming from the 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 normal pinball vendors i can yeah i i think that that's an interesting thing and that's always been the thing to me that lurks out in the distance that could disrupt the i think this blossoming you know american-based sort of little bit of european uk-based pinball explosion we've had uh, as far as building games and selling games to consumers, is if somebody was able to pull off a really high-quality game in China and get the pricing down, um, it's not easy to do. You know, I've worked for companies that built in China, and it's it's really difficult. There's a lot of moving parts, and you you can quickly find yourself in a position where you're not saving a lot of money. Um, I I still have to question anytime somebody's working on their very first game. Um, I question all of it, every, every little bit about it until I see it, play it, feel it because, you know, I have played games by some companies that have built, you know, not their first game and they don't feel good. They, they, they feel wrong or the geometry is bad or, or, or they're just not something you'd want to buy. And in, until I see something to, to prove me wrong on that, I I'm really skeptical on the home pin thing because he's been saying it's coming soon for years, two, three years now. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Whenever I see the, the Stern factory tour, and, and, and I marvel in the amount of people, right, the, the size of it, the scale of it, and whenever I hear someone wants to replicate that with no experience, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, wow, like, 
where do you begin? The Stern is 30 years in the making and it's it's a well-oiled machine and I just don't think anybody can really compete with them at that level. I think where the market opportunities lie and we're, we're seeing it with Spooky is is these boutique companies that can make three to 500 game runs, maybe a thousand, but good luck trying to get to the the volume that Stern does without having that kind of resources and then that kind of backing. It'll take a long time before anybody, I think, can consistently uh, get to, you know, 2,000 games a year. I, it would take a long time. I think Jersey Jacks had the best shot at it, but even we've seen the delays that go into that. You know, building 100 games is one thing, and I think Spooky did it really sort of like – uh, the most grassroots way possible in a very clean, efficient way. And look how quickly they had to go into a whole new big building when it was like, hey, we need to build more than 250 or 150 games. Right. Uh, you, you, man, it takes a lot of infrastructure and a lot of people and a lot of investment. So I, I think the best way to make a small fortune in pinball right now is to start with a large fortune in pinball, probably. Right. No, I agree. And, th- and that's the question mark with Highway because I think full throttle, you know, probably shipped about the same amount as spooky shipped of America's most haunted roughly around like 150 games went out and it's got to be like really hard I think the problem they have now is you go from like 150 where you might get like 2,000 orders for alien and you're like shit how do we now go make 2,000 games um so we'll see I'll I'll be shocked if they can do that volume that's a pretty big number um, I, I would expect them to be in that seven, eight, nine hundred range as far as pre-orders go. And if it, if I think if it sells well, I mean, I could be totally wrong. Andrew might be listening to this and think I'm an idiot, but I'd be shocked if they get two thousand sales. Yeah, out, I don't think they have two thousand orders, but I think during the lifespan of the game, if if I think for the for year one, they're definitely going to have to uh, in, increase the volume, right? Because alien demand is 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 probably ten times greater easily than full throttle. Uh, I hope over the next few months we, we see production ramp up because the buyers over the next two to three months, I really do. I think if if you're promised a game and you're expecting it within a certain time period, I think you have a, a small – the next six months are going to be critical for, for manufacturers to get people their games because I do think if if I've been in on Alien for two years and I've waited and it's still not shipping and Stern's like, I'll give you Star Wars in two weeks, or I'll give you Dialed In, and like you know, you can buy it right now from a distributor. Come pick it up. I think people's money is going to go where the boxes are. <laughs> so I, I think too, though, that there's a, a. I still think there's a underestimation of the pinball market when I look at the price of what used games are still selling for. Right. Um, if you have recent titles, you know, whether it's ACDC or Metallica, uh, or you know, something like Tron, that are selling for. 80% of their new price or 80% of the current new price of a pro machine, the, the demand is there. And I think, you know, there's some smart people out there who know the industry enough that aren't currently working in pinball. If you have the ability to manufacture the game and you have somebody who can design the game, you can fig- the code is there to be cracked. I think what trips up a lot of people is they get in their own idea of, I know how to do it better than everybody else did. And I'm not going to listen to these smart people who are telling me because I know I know of a couple projects that have gone on where really, really smart, respected people in in the pinball industry have talked to those builders and said, 
you really should think about doing like this. And the builder goes, oh, that's great. But no, we, we're going to do it like this. And that ends up being the six-month delay right there because right. they, they just thought they knew better. Yeah, and I think George, too, he said it when he – and we'll t- let's talk a little bit about Magical because George, when he talked about how he would have approached it, there there is a formula that works. And, and I even think, too, like a lot of times people are – they're anxious to sort of differentiate their company – from what else is out there and that leads to those delays and that leads to the hiccup and it's like you know you understand marketing aid it's like if consumers don't want it don't force onto them a, a big change that just you want to make because you personally want your company to stand out and it's like is it necessary right pinball as it is in in its traditional sense there's a huge demand for it people haven't been asking for swappable playfields. They haven't been asking for different cabinet sizes. Whenever people do that stuff, they make it harder on themselves and make it harder to get their game to market. And the consumers don't even say they want it. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. The swappable playfield thing to me, I think it's actually a great idea. And I kind of got into this argument with Gary Stern when I was, uh, you know, sort of talking with them. I think it's a brilliant idea. And I think that somebody could do it properly and really cash in on it. Um, I wouldn't, if I were highway, I would not have built wide body games. I, I think that's, that's to me, that's one of their kind of trip ups as far as selling the games. If, if I'm trying to enter the market, I want my game to look pretty much like a stern game, right. but have some flashier things to it that separate me apart. Um, I think if you had a narrow body version of wizard of Oz, uh, I think it would have done even better than the wide body, which was a success by by a lot of standards, whereas it, it sold a lot of games. I don't know how much money it made in the end, but it, it sold a lot of games. I would go narrow body. I would, you know, and this is just me thinking I know everything better, but I, I certainly would try and look like a Stern, the proven marketplace winner so that you don't get people uncomfortable, but have something better. And for a while it's been the color screen, but now Stern has finally kind of caught up with everybody. And, I'm t- I tell you, I, I look at that Aerosmith game, and that's a good-looking game. Right, and it's, for the it's money, make too. It's going to really hard. An Aerosmith yeah. Pro is, what, like $5,800 or $200? It's, it's, and it's gorgeous. I, I yeah, mean, it's, it, it's less than almost everything else. Yeah, I, I think that uh, – and, and from what I've been hearing from Stern is hand-drawn art moving forward, people. So Yeah, for they the got mo- that message. It took yeah. them a while, but they got that message. Yeah. And you're going to see it. Probably on Star Wars, you're going to see it on everything moving forward. So, you know, I think I, I, I keep saying like the giant woke up, like people kept poking Stern, and and now they're going to give everybody what they want. But I agree, I don't, I don't really, I'm not a fan of wide bodies. So I'm looking at Magic Girl here, and it's like this kind of unique Zidware cabinet. It it does look like a Stern, but it it has all that flash that you're talking about. Uh, problem is the flashes, the flashy stuff doesn't really work. So let's talk a little bit about. John, because I know Nate, your I think it was like your most listened to and most successful podcast was your interview with John Papaduke right in the middle of sort of the the Zidware sort of collapse, and you sort of were the, were able to get him on the horn to talk about it. And I think, and and something something that I've always felt, Nate, and I just want to let you know this is. I think you were unfairly criticized for not being like hard on John because <laughs> I, I think you asked him the tough questions. I think we could hear in your own voice your sort of disgust with some of his answers and, and frustration with him. But as someone who's also talked to John for hours, there's only so much you can beat a dead horse with John when you're actually talking to him on the phone because he just has this sort of ignorant 
childlike way of of behaving and talking about his company that it, it just you can't beat him up too bad no that's a good way to put it you know it was a tough situation and that is my most listened to show. It kind of bothers me on some level, but yeah, I think I think last time I did all the math because I try and keep track of the show downloads. I think that thing has over twenty four thousand downloads. Wow. Um, yeah, it it it's a mess because I like John Papaduke as a guy to hang out and talk about geeky pinball stuff with. I really liked him when I first met him. It was kind of a thrill. I was like, oh my gosh, this is a guy who worked in the business and made some cool games and and everything, but. The more I talked to him and the more times he, you know, canceled podcasts because that took forever. I mean, that was not like something. Hey, John, you want to come on the show? Yeah, I'll come on the show. That took six months. I mean, that that was a long time coming because anyone that's dealt with him knows he's he's eccentric and he's he changes his mind. He's got his own way of doing things. And, and I think he was really skittish that I would lay into him and I would just try and play gotcha with him. Um, but you know, whatever I, I, I didn't, I don't feel like on my show and, and I hope you don't, I don't think you do clearly. You don't owe anybody anything. I don't owe anybody out in the world, um, some hard questioning line with John Papaduke. I, I was having a discussion at a very poignant time with him and we covered all the basics. He didn't answer a lot, but it's funny because I thought I was talking to this guy who had started a company with good intentions had a good idea, got great feedback, took a lot of money in from a lot of people or a certain amount of people, and then slowly but surely worked himself into a hole and realized he couldn't get out. And then John comes on my show and basically says, I'm a guy with good intentions who got a lot of money on my good ideas from a lot of people and dug myself a hole and now I can't get out. He literally said what I was thinking. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of the story. So what else was there? It's like this guy, he screwed up. He couldn't do it. It's, right. it's sad to me. And it, it's, it's, if I had money in it, I'd be mad as hell. But it, to me, from an outsider, it, it's this sad thing where a guy who's not a businessman, doesn't know how to run a business, has really has no sense about business clearly, who – and this is going to be the legacy, I think, which kind of sucks for him. But if you look back at John Papaduke, how many games did he actually design? Yeah, not many. What, four? So four, one of which it's pretty much agreed upon by most people that were there. He was kind of bailed out on World Cup soccer. He yeah, needed they help dra- finishing. They, drag- they dragged him away from it. Yeah, they, they had to get him away from it. So he had three games. And if you talk to the people that were, were at Bally Williams at the time – he was doing the same stuff then. He was digging himself into holes and making things probably harder than they needed to be. And uh, that's fine if you're building a piece of artwork. But if you're trying to build a product for commercial sale that you're going to support a business on, at some point you have to have the guy over your shoulder saying, your bill of materials is out of line. We're not redoing the brackets. We're not remaking the cabinet size. We're not making the glass three inches right. longer than it should be. All those things just added up and just sunk him so deep in a hole. And I really felt bad for the guy. And I really feel bad for the people who trusted the guy. Right. Um, it was sort of a lesson for the whole pinball world at that time is like, make sure you know where you're sending your money. Well, and, and the interesting thing too, Nate, is like his games back in the day, they, they, didn't, they weren't successful in their time. They were celebrated years later. Uh, yeah, when, they, I, I agree, but I also look at what the industry was doing at that time as best I can. Lots from, of you themes know, and well, it just wasn't 
the industry wasn't that successful at the time, really. I mean, Medieval Madness wasn't that successful at the time either. Right. Um, but I, I do think he has a certain thing going on in Circus Voltaire and Theater Magic and Tales of the Arabian Nights, which I don't think anybody else quite had. He definitely created something under the glass in those games that is unique. And I quite honestly really, really appreciate, and I don't want to use the word love, but I, I, lo- I do really enjoy those games and uh shortcomings aside i think some of the shortcomings weren't things that he had to do with namely code so i i really do like what john put put into those three games but to want to send that guy 15 grand because he was the main play field and you know lead idea design on those three games and and partly you know woke up soccer i don't know that that's some of that has to go on the people that sent the money at some point right I I agree. I mean, I, I said it. I've said I've beat this drum a million times. Is he, people gave him some people gave him thirty grand plus. Yeah. For two, yeah. one guy who didn't have a company, who didn't have a plan, who brought Ben Heck up on stage, then Ben Heck quit like two weeks later. Like all the red flags were there, and people were, kept handing him more money. And it's it is on the buyers just as much as it is on John. Now I'm not victim blaming, but it takes two to lose money in any sort of. I, I don't scheme. think you can victim blame when you have a twenty three thousand dollar box of lights in your living room, Chris. Well, I mean, I'm just so kidding. yeah, no, it's <laughs> so my. You know what's weird about this magic? I'm looking at it right now. Is so, I, I think behind the scenes, when I bought a spot for Magic Girl, I, I sort of took American Pinball at its word that they were going to complete Magic Girl and and. Foolishly, I, I I was like, all right, like these guys have money, they're gonna get it done. They wouldn't have like twenty cabinets lined up if they were gonna just like quit. But then the nightmare occurred at Expo where they didn't bring the game. They, Joe Balser got up there and basically said they were taking American Pinball in a different direction, and I thought I lost my my money because it was a non refundable deposit on the on the game. And so here's the thing, too, Nate, like. I, I, I had worked really hard to talk to John, to talk to like Bill Brandis, to talk to like there was like a lot of legal issues that weren't ironed out. Like John kind of duped AP along with everybody else. Like they thought they had permission just to release the game. They didn't have the IP for it. So a lot of shit was going on that I just dove head first into because I didn't want to lose my money. And I was like at that point it was like a selfish desire for me to get the game out. But here's the crazy part. So I talked to John on the phone and, and so did like other people. He, he was adamant that none of his creations were going to be sacrificed, that the game worked perfectly, that he got everything working. And, and that is why it is so mind-boggling by what arrived in February with, with mechs missing, magnets missing, the code is just a, a mess. And it's just like... I really feel bad for Johnny because I think he, the last year he got his get out of jail free card. He found a very wealthy person to float him. And, and American Pinball invested a lot of money in Magic Girl. And yeah. J- John didn't do the one thing he needed to do, which was pick up the phone and say, I need help and get people involved who could help him get it working enough so that it wouldn't be what it is now, which is still just a, a, a boxing blink, a blinking thing of lights with some fun call outs. The thing is visually stunning. Um, 
But it's a shame. And I think right now, and I know, Nate, you were contacted by Wall Street Journal. I talked to them. It's really interesting because I think John, on some level, I can't tell if he thinks this is like a victory lap for him with the the, the media coverage that's going to happen. Uh, but I know this. All the owners who have talked about it are telling the truth that this this isn't this is like a sad story. That's it's in, it's an interesting story, but it's a sad one. It's not a celebratory moment for him. Yeah, that, I mean, it, 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 it's it, it makes me feel a little bit bad because I see John. You know, when you the one of the memories I have of him is him sitting at at the expo where he revealed the empty cabinets, and he was sitting in a corner and he and I hadn't spoken cause he'd blown me off for a podcast, I think. And I, I walked by him and he kind of said like, Hey Nate, kind of like almost like, don't ignore me. I'm over here. And I said, Hey John. And I went and looked at the cabinets and, and he said, I'll show you those later. And, and I just think that this is a guy who, you know, moved to Chicago to work in pinball, whose, you know, career was pinball, whose identity is pinball, who, clearly does have some great ideas as far as the the design concepts and he's sort of shut out now because he he blew it he he ran a business into the ground he owes a ton of people a bunch of money there's legal proceedings etc etc and i i I don't know if this is a victory lap for him it's uh pretty pretty sad and a little delusional because can he get out of this somehow? Sure, but it's going to take time and there's going to need to be a way to pay money back. I mean, right. he's got to find a way to put a business together that generates money to then literally send people money back and, and, well, and he take a long time. See, I think he had it, Nate, with American Pinball because John, I still think, as I look at the game now, is one of the greatest creative directors of pinball. I think he knows how to make a pinball machine look magical and his 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 discovery of Zombie Yeti of Matt Andrews who did the cabinet art, uh, and 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 just the way he creates that world under glass, but Houdini was his moment where if he could have just got Magic Girl working enough and got Houdini out, but what hap- somewhere along the line would happen I think with American Pinball, they realized. Remember when they said, like, we're going to deliver all the Magic Girls by the end of the year and we're going to bring Chris from Cointake or his Magic Girl by Expo? I think they realized, like, shit. Like, he's he's spent a year and he's no further along than he was, like, back in May. You know, like, they realized, like, they couldn't rely on him to get it done. Um, and I think... I think that was like I think that might be his final chance because I think the the only other way he has out is if he partners up with like a major manufacturer to design a game and says, "Look, I'm going to do this for free, and I'm going to design it for you, and whatever you pay me has to go back to like credit towards my Zidware customers." But but then like who would ever even want to get involved, right? Look at all the bad no, I mean bad will it, you get. It, it, yeah, that's that's the problem now is, is it's it's toxic at this point. And he had an opportunity. I know for a fact he had a, a, an opportunity at one point to jump jump on board with a major company and he, he turned it down because um, he thought and, he, and, he thought he deserved more money. Right. I mean, he was like, yeah, something to that. I don't know the details there, but I, I know that he certainly wanted more of something, whether it was control or money or et cetera. He, he again kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. He thought he knew better. And uh, it turns out he didn't, and, and right. that and that's too bad. Do you think the Magic Girls will ever be fixed? 
I think that's a question. That... Uh, yeah, because I think, yes, I, I think that our hobby is full of people who are pretty, uh, pretty smart and driven. And some of the things that I've seen built in, in this thing, uh, you know, you go to TPF this weekend. You're going to see a bunch of boutique games that people built in their garages over the weekends. So, yeah, I think somebody will. Right. you know fix it to some degree yeah definitely right as i, I know the coder is working on it right now uh, as i look at it too it's like everything can be fixed i mean i see where some of his things there just needs to be a few magnets here and there the center mechanism is i think that's what got john stuck for years nate is he had this like making the ball levitate desire and he just he bit off more than he could chew with the center mechanism and i and it became like the nucleus of the game and i think it's almost ironic too the way like he just kept building that center mech higher and higher and higher to the point where it like blocked it the screen fit. yeah <laughs> it, it didn't fit yeah it like blocked his entire display uh and i and i think you know it looks amazing but literally it it, it the whole thing just just doesn't work on on that i, kind I, of I don't want to be the proponent of like easy way outs or, or cheap design. But if John Papaduke had gone back and say, taken tales, of Arabian nights and literally just overlaid it, change the toys, change, you know, flip it, reverse it, mirror image, everything, whatever you want to do. And then lay on zombie Yeti's artwork on top of it with the new theme and get somebody to write the rules. He just sold, <laughs> he just sold a bunch of games. Well, even and, easier, Nate. I, I was like, all, John, I gave him this advice. All you should do is just get Zombie Yeti to redo the art on Tails and call it like the Founders Edition and make fifty of them for twenty grand each, and you would have sold every one. Yeah, I mean, obviously you got to be careful about somebody else's design property. I mean, I, I, well, I guess just have to awful, license but, it from PPS, like, right? Because Rick has the license for all the Williams yeah, games. Yeah, right. I mean, sure. If you're gonna do that, go go pay pay Rick what he whatever yeah. he wants. Left arm, left leg. But, but the game is designed. All he then he then John could have fun with art, which is clearly where he wanted to spend most of his time. Well, we'll see or, where that or, or hiring an artist that is. Yeah, we'll see where the story ends. But I think it's um, it's it's definitely indicative of this year, Nate. Where like miracles are happening. You're on Canada's Pinball Podcast. That's a miracle. Uh, Magic Girl came out. Um, and I, I agree with you, Nate. I think this is probably going to be one of the most exciting years for pinball in, in a long time because a lot Did of I say titles... that? I don't remember saying that. I think last year was one of the most... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I th uh, really, yeah, like, it I should th be. I think it'll be a good year. Great yeah, year. and I think TPF uh, this weekend, I think TPF is the new, like, it's the new, like, show. Like, this is the show... For two years. It's been, the t it's been the best show in the country for two years. Right. Yeah, and, and even like the seminars and the announcements are, have definitely are overriding what we see at Expo. Uh, Expo's got some work to do if they want to get back. A ton of work to do. Expo is is a shell of itself. Uh, it's it's sad really to see. Um, I, I I'm really disappointed in the fact that uh, they haven't figured out the the way the way to fix Expo because there is a way to do it. Um, but I think you have. A group in Texas and a group in Pittsburgh that are putting shows on with replay effects and Texas Pinball Festival that are truly, truly, truly motivated about putting on the best show they possibly can. And I think you have a group in Chicago that is truly, truly motivated in making as much money as you possibly can from putting on a pretty good show. Right. Or at least trying to. Yeah. And the, the, the funny thing is, is they're not making nearly as much money as the people in Texas and in Pittsburgh who are 
making better shows. <laughs> They're the, the, the cream will rise, man. I, I think I think the the Papa Foundation, the Replay Foundation, and the guys in Texas with Ed and his whole group. They, if they're making money on those shows, good for them because those shows are worth every dollar spent. Right. Well, I'm looking forward to going. Um, look out for my ad in the brochure, people. Uh, you're going to want to look at the fine print on it. <laughs> but, Nate, we've been a little bit over an hour. I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. This has been uh, really just like I, I I'll say it, like a dream to have you come on. I, again, I loved your show from the moment I first heard it, and I look forward to hearing more Coast to Coast Pinball in the future. Thank you. You're far too kind. I appreciate it. Uh, I wish you the best of luck. Congrats on 101 episodes. I know that your math is as bad as mine because this is probably episode 106 or something. There's like some on... special editions and some episodes I had to delete because of legal issues. But <laughs> so we're we're kind of at like 120 something. But this is this is technically 101 with an well, episode name. Best of luck to you. I, I hope you avoid legal issues and maybe someday you'll find a reinstatement on Pinside. Well, we're going to start campaigning for that. Um, well, I'm not. You might. Don't don't <laughs> screw it up if you get it. Is all I can say. Right. Well, I'll see, I'll see Robin at TPF. He's like he's like there I like Chris, go. but I can't stand Canada. I'm like, huh. Um, well, Nate, I really appreciate it, and hopefully, you know, next time you're in the states, if you're ever in New York, hit me up. You can come play Magic Girl at one of the 25 locations available on planet Earth, <laughs> and we'll have good. a good time. All right. All right. I appreciate all right, Nate. It. Have a Thanks good day. Time. Talk soon. All right. All right.